Welcome, Laura Soden, to episode 60 of the Thank podcast. You. Thank you for coming such in. A, such an honor. I know. I'm excited <laughs> because we haven't had too many math or science teachers on, and partly that's my problem because I'm on the English wing, and when we're always thinking about who to have on next, I'm just right. like, oh, you know, John Rowell's next door to me, and right. you know, but uh, it's great to have you in, and I'm excited to talk about some of your classes and how this year has started off for you. Yeah. Well, you've had some math teachers. I know you've had the big dogs, we've had, Bartz yes, and Guline. That's true. Big shoes to fill. Yeah. Guline, <laughs> he, uh, that was a good episode, I thought. Yeah. And Bartz, too. I was... Really, yes. That was at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. But um, thank you for coming in. And yeah. we haven't really talked too much. Uh, mm-hmm. We're on different floors and you were new yes. right last year? The year before. The year before. But okay. COVID, right? Like last year, I feel like I only saw about, you know, three people total on campus other than my students. So yeah, it's a vacuum. I don't yes. even remember what, what happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was it like for you teaching math on the computer last year? It was weird. Yeah. Um, it was like the actual content delivery it didn't seem like a big deal, but like being able to like connect with students and read the room in particular, you know, like normally if I'm putting something up on the board and I turn around and like you can see that kind of deer in the headlights look sometimes, mm-hmm. that's much harder to see on Zoom. So um, I just I found that part difficult to kind of intercede, right? Like something that was happening to be like, okay, we got it. We got to meet. You don't look like you're getting this and you can't see any of their work. So like they might be doing something on their paper and you just can't see anything from Zoom. Right. But how could you kind of sense when a student wasn't really grasping the material or getting what you were, what you were putting down? Did they ever <laughs> kind of say, Miss Soden, I, I, like, are they pretty open in that way? Or at least last year? Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Like, I think once they got to know me and I just kept harping on them, like, please come and talk to me. Like, I have these office hours. I'm just sitting by myself in Zoom, which is very depressing. Please come and see me. Um, most of them are really good about it. And then, you know, sometimes you just look at, I had them submit homework every day. And so I would go through everyone's homework problem by problem. And if I saw that there was a kid that wasn't quite making the connection, then I'd be like, hey, you mm-hmm. should come to my, my office hours. But, okay. you know, the great thing is, all it takes is that little nudge. Yeah. And then they're there. Yeah. Well, it's always the best when someone just kind of seeks you out and you and yes. it's <laughs> I've found that it's really true when teachers when teachers would say that to me in class growing right. up it would be like come see me if you have an issue and right. you kind of brush it off but when you actually do it's like exciting. It's like, "Oh, someone's yes. interested. Someone's <laughs> someone really cares, you know." Yeah. And they, you know what, like this year's freshmen have actually been wonderful. Like I have actually found that my afternoon time, which is normally like block one and block two, I just say, hey, I'm I'm free. The, both of them come and see me. You know, they're showing up pretty regularly. I've got kids coming in the morning, which is fun. Mm-hmm. What do you teach and kind of how did you get into those areas of math to, to start teaching? Yeah. So right now I teach algebra two and geometry. Um, and... To be honest, that's just kind of what I've taught at Gilman. Mm-hmm. But in general, I've taught everything from like pre-algebra to I've taught at AP schools and IB. I don't know if you're familiar with IB, but um, IB schools like basically up through BC calculus. So I've kind of I've I think I've literally taught every single class between those two. Mm. Um, I enjoy algebra two and geometry the most though, because I love freshmen and sophomores. Hmm. And most of the guys that know me, like I say that all the time, I, I, they're so fun. Like they're, (laughs) they're still into it. And like, I, I always joke, I'm like, they're not jaded yet. 
right? Yeah. Like they get a little bit older and things get tighter and more stress filled and I don't begrudge them at all. Like I get it, but it's, it's fun to just hang out and yeah. talk about equations with people that are still fired up to talk about equations. Right. <laughs> junior year. I, so I teach juniors and seniors and that's when all the distractions come mm-hmm. in and college is such a yes. important topic on the front of everyone's mind. Yep. I almost actually have a totally different way of seeing that because mm-hmm. for me, like English class is kind of like the hanging out that you're talking about, talking yeah. about cool things that they're excited about. It's a little bit different from what they're doing maybe in their other classes yes. and with the college and that's all stressful. And I'm just like, right. guys, we're just going to, it's like book club. We're just yeah. going to talk about what you read and <laughs> teach you a little bit about writing, but right. it's a little bit, a little bit different, I think. But yeah, I think things feel tighter, especially like if you're taking an AP class and you're thinking about, you know, the grade that has to show up on your transcript. And um, I don't know. I also think it's super fun to meet the kids when they're freshmen because they're such wildly different humans as freshmen than they are when you know them as juniors and seniors. So like the best part of being here for, you know, my third year now is knowing those older guys that I taught as freshmen and sophomores and now to see them as juniors and seniors. And be like, right. Wow. Yeah. They're turning out. Yeah. Played a hand in that. <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Um, whereas the juniors and seniors maybe you get to see them for a year, but then they're then they're off, and you're like, where where'd they go? Where'd right. They, you know. Um, how did you get into math? Like, when did you first start to enjoy math or like math? And mm. did you always know that you wanted to teach? Yeah, I always like. I would say that I was a kid who enjoyed school. Like, I liked. I liked being with my friends. I liked my teachers. I played sports. Like it was, it was fun for the most part to go to school. And my, um, actually, I went to a very small high school. I only graduated with forty-two kids. Oh wow! Um, and so my high school math teacher was my high school math teacher from like all four years because there were no other math teachers. Like mm. he was it. So uh, he was also my basketball coach. So I connected with him. I spent a lot of hours with him. Um, And my older brother is actually a teacher as well. He's three years older than I am. So I watched him go off to college, decide to teach. He's a high school history teacher. Um, For a while, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, which I don't like looking back. I don't even know why I thought that. But I (laughs) job shadowed a lawyer my senior year. And I always tell kids it's the best thing I ever did because Mm. I don't know if I've been like, watching Law and Order. I don't know what I was doing, but I job shadowed this man and it was so painfully boring. Sorry to any lawyers out there. Uh Um, But I looked at it and I was like, I can't imagine doing that every day. But I was a camp counselor, like I ran open gyms um, in the summer. And so I was like, that seems kind of fun. I I like hanging out with kids. And and then I really enjoyed math was always my my favorite subject. So that seems like an easy enough. Yeah. There are like those jobs that you kind of just have to try out and try, try to see what it's right. like. And then once you know, it's right. You know, then you, then you're, then you know, you right. do what you love to do. Well, and I always thought, so I grew up in, or I went to high school and college in Minnesota. And I always thought that I was going to be a public school teacher, teacher in rural Minnesota, because that's where I had gone to school. That's where my brother, he's been at the same rural school in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota for his entire teaching career. And I really thought that that was where I I was going to go. So I did all the certification, you know, I took all the education classes and then 
literally never used my teaching license. Mm. What what are those, by the way, those certifications? Like how rigorous yeah. is that to say if you wanted to teach in public schools, what would you have to do? Yeah, in the state of Minnesota, it was, so I you have to major, to be a high school teacher, you have to major in your content area. So I had to major in math to be a high school math teacher. But then you have this minor in education at the school that I went to, and it's basically like a double major. I mean, from your sophomore year on, you're taking as many education classes as you are math classes, and all of the education classes have, you know, uh, like you're shadowing or you're student teaching or you're doing something in schools in the local area. Um, and then I spent my last semester of my senior year student teaching. And then a million years ago when I graduated, um, they also started implementing standardized testing. So there was the praxis and you had to take the praxis mm -hmm. and, and get a certain score in order to get this certification. And then when you had your teaching license, you had to um, you know, continue to document your professional development so that you can keep renewing it. Hmm. So, so was your first job out of college, was it teaching at a public school or right away to a private school? Private school. So wow. I met my husband in college. He went to Tabor Academy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tabor. So his mom worked at Tabor. Um, and she had said to me, hey, you know, there's this search firm, Carney Sandow. You might want to check them out. And mm. I, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. kind of always how it is, right? You, <laughs> someone finds out about Carney Sandow yes. and then they're in. They're yes. in the whirlpool. So, right, like I show up with my resume in Boston and that teacher meet market that happens in the convention center. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And I happened to interview with Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. And they flew me out and I interviewed and it, I got the job offer so early compared to public schools, right? Public schools typically were handing out contracts in like June or mm -hmm. May. And so it seemed silly to not... You know, like you're just out of college, you're like, yes, a job offer, fantastic. Yep. Um, so I took the leap and like we moved out to Virginia and I had never been there before. And I just ended up kind of going to a progression of private schools. And then I eventually let my public school teaching license lapse because it was clear that like we were never going to go live in rural Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like your first couple of years at Episcopal in Virginia? Because I've heard really good things about that school. Um, but what was it like starting your career there? Um, it was good. I'm sure I, like looking back now, I'm like, man, I bet I was kind of a hot mess. Like I am sure that I went through all of the... Uh, you know, growing pains of barely being older. Like I remember one of the kids my first year said, hey, my brother's older than you are. And I was <laughs> like, okay, cool. Um, so trying to establish myself um, definitely took a couple of years to figure out like what my teaching style was. And, um, but it was fun. The kids there were great. Like I, it was, it was fun. You know, you go from playing sports in college to doing nothing. And so coaching was a fun way to like, still pretend like I had it. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your athletic experience growing up and then at Hamlin, Hamlin? Yep, yeah. yep. Hamlin University in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, I grew up kind of just playing whatever my brother played. Like my brother played soccer, so I played soccer. My brother played basketball, so I played basketball. Um, and then we we moved. I, had, I was born in Seattle. We moved to Minnesota to this teeny tiny town. And, like, there's not a whole lot to do there. So I just, like, I played volleyball in the fall. I played basketball in the winter. 
Um, and then I signed up for softball because I was like, I don't have anything to do and I don't know how to play, but here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, a, like I said, that was a big part of my high school career. And then um, when I was looking at colleges, I knew I wanted to go somewhere relatively close to home so that my my parents could come and see me play. I wanted to play something. Um, my brother had done the same thing, again, following in my brother's footsteps. He played college uh, football and baseball at a Division II college, Concordia St. Paul, that was right down the road from Hamlin. So I kind of kept my my radius relatively small, um, and I loved Hamlin, and I loved the feel of it, and so I ended up playing. I, I knew I wanted to play basketball there, and then I kind of just played volleyball my freshman year on a whim. I was like, well, sure, I'll go there. Like, I'll do preseason. I'll get to meet people. The The head basketball coach was the strength and conditioning coach for the volleyball team. So she was like, you should do this. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, great. Um, and I ended up loving it. Uh, and I played both sports for all four years. And wow. Just like, it was a huge part of my experience. You know, all the, all the people that were in our wedding, you know, all the bridesmaids were all women that I had played with and lived with um, during That's college. The best. Oh, yeah. And especially coming into college, you have, I mean, you had twice the size but like i played lacrosse in college and coming in i had 40 best friends right away when other people kind of have to you know branch out and meet people it's kind of nice yeah um and i also think that's really good advice for someone who's looking to play a sport is Mm -hmm. a lot of times you're thinking about going far away and you know Mm -hmm. trying something new Mm -hmm. and i feel like my junior sophomore junior years i was like ah i kind of wish i was a little bit closer mm-hmm. because it's nice to be able to get home and it sounds yep. like you were super close um yep. yeah i think that's something for guys to think about if they're looking to play yeah like my parents i part of the reason that i chose something that close so we, my parents were about an hour from saint paul um was because you know every saturday when i was in high school we would be going to my brother's football games um, and it was so fun to, you know, he was gone and it, so it was fun to see him, but it was also just fun to like go be on campus and like be a, be a part of the action. So, you know, it was nice. I, it didn't really matter where we were playing. The, the conference we played in was mainly, uh, small liberal arts colleges in the, the Twin Cities area. And so my parents went to most of my college games for mm-hmm. volleyball and basketball. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. So you grew up in Seattle. When did you move to Minnesota? Sixth grade. Sixth grade. Oh, so you were there for a while. Yes. What, what, um, tell me a little bit about Seattle. So my sister just moved there. She's mm-hmm. in the military. Nice. Um, she graduated in 2020, the COVID year. Mm-hmm. And I was looking to go out there this summer because mm-hmm. apparently it's beautiful in the summer and kind of rainy and overcast for a lot of the year, yep. I think. Uh, but I didn't make it out. She's... I think she has her hands full with a lot of, you know, she's in charge of a lot of guys in the military and it's pretty stressful and long days. So she was like, yeah, don't come here. (laughs) Not yet. Like, let me get settled in a little bit first. So um, what was it like for you growing up in Seattle? What's that place like? Yeah. So it's funny. Like what I remember is mostly my extended family. So both of my parents were born and raised in Seattle and almost all of my extended family lives there. So, um, you know, we just like, we were constantly being able to visit our grandparents, see our aunts and uncles. Um, 
And there was just, like, there were a lot of fun things to do. Like, our family had, you know, a cabin. up. You could take the ferry at Edmonds and go across. And there were all of these, you know, fun beaches to go to and lots of outdoorsy things to do. Um, I'm not outdoorsy, disclaimer. But wow, surprising. Oh, my gosh. No. From Seattle and lived in Minnesota and not outdoorsy. No. Oh, no. no. I love indoor plumbing. I love <laughs> heat. I, I, when I first met my husband, I told him, I was like, look, if you like to camp, that's cool you should go camping, but you shouldn't take me with because I know I will not make it a more enjoyable experience. Like, oh, let's... my gosh. <laughs> but we've taken our kids back now to visit my my aunts um, and uncle, and it's so great. Like, there are so many fun things to do in downtown, but if, you know, if you've got a car and you can ride the ferry, you can see, you know, there's Olympic National Park, you can go to the coast. Um we used to spend summers when I was young uh, in eastern Washington. So you go over the Cascade Mountains, and there are so many beautiful places mm-hmm. to visit there. I That's... mean, I stayed in a hotel. but what's, <laughs> what's the city that way, eastern Washington? Kind of the so there's city? Pullman is where, like, Washington State is. And now I'm blanking on the other one. Yeah, I'm thinking of another one out there. But that's kind of what I was mapping out because, you know, you see Seattle, you go around Mm -hmm. Seattle, but I feel like all of those surrounding areas, if you're outdoorsy, are kind of where you want to explore. Yeah. Like the lakes and the hikes and the mountains. and. Yes. And you don't even have to go as far as eastern Washington. I mean, if you go west of Seattle, and like I said, there are a couple of ferries that you can take over, there there are some beautiful spots there. Then how about um, Minnesota and St. Paul? What was your time there like and your experience at Hamlin? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I'll be honest, there was a fair amount of culture shock uh, going from Seattle where we lived in the city to, you know, my parents, the house that they lived in, they actually just sold it two years ago, was literally in the middle of a cornfield. It was like a plot of grass. Like we showed up there, I'm in sixth grade and I was like, guys, what are we doing? That's a a tough time to move, sixth grade. (laughs) Because we were just talking, you have a daughter who's in sixth grade, my sister's in sixth grade. It's kind of yeah. like heat of, uh, yeah, the heat of your life. You kind of feel like it is middle school, yes. and yeah, you don't know who you are. Nobody knows who they are, but everybody's super self conscious about it. Yes, um, and going to a school where it's forty two kids who have all known each other right since they were in kindergarten. It was like the record scratched. You know, when I showed up the first day, and they were like, "Who is who this?" Is this? Yeah. Um, but it ended up being wonderful. Like as tough as that first year was to get to know kids and to figure out what was going on. Um, it was really good. I met really great people. And I think that that small school experience definitely shaped the type of college that I was looking for. You know, I wanted that same experience where people knew my name, I knew their name, and I wasn't sort of one of, you know, 40,000 undergrads. That right. that sounds super overwhelming. Right. Um, and where I felt like if I wanted to go ask a professor for help, like they had office hours and they knew my name and I could go in there and ask. Um, so I, I loved it. And I loved, you know, like being in St. Paul, it's kind of fun because you've got lots of different colleges there. So like I didn't go to the University of Minnesota, but my husband did. So like we would go, you know, going and going to football games and volleyball games and and being able to be a part of that sort of bigger college scene. Like I got the best of both worlds. I got to have my small college experience, but then I got to go have some fun with the big boys. Oh, yeah. Um, you said growing up, you always loved school and you, you liked math. Was mm-hmm. there were there certain teachers that you had at that small high school that you went mm-hmm. to, small school that you went to that 
influenced your love of math? Yeah, I mean, I think I, so I, for like sixth grade through 12th grade, I only had two teachers and they were both great and they were really great in different ways. Um, I think that the common thread was that they both, they both really seemed to like kids, you know, like I remember hanging out and talking with them and it wasn't just, let's talk about the quadratic formula. It was like, hey, how was your game last night? How's your brother doing? Um, they were just fun people to connect with. But, you know, I, I mean, math was my favorite. I'll be honest, though. We took shop and home ec. <laughs> Those were also two of my favorite classes. Yeah. Like shop. Shop, wood shop. Oh, wood shop. Yeah. And it was required for seventh, eighth, and ninth graders. So mm. for three semesters, we took shop and then we took home ec. Wow. So you learned to sew, you learned to cook. Mm-hmm. You learned how to use a drill, and it was awesome. Yeah, life skills. Yes. And I think those types of classes, and this is just really from me observing Carl Connolly's art class, or those mm-hmm. more, those classes where you're kind of left on your own to work on your individual yeah. projects are super healthy for just your, your well-being yes. growing up. Like I, when I, my first couple of years here and i wish i can get back into this i would go into carl Connolly's art room and just mm-hmm. set up an easel and yeah. like as a break in your day while you're still being creative and still using mm-hmm. your mind in a different way it's just it feels so healthy sure yeah and i the thing that i love whenever i i remember the first time i said that shop was like probably my most useful class and my dad was like what are you talking about and i said look look i happen to solve equations but like as of living but in terms of skills that I actually get to use and like use my hands and like I, that class was definitely my favorite. And the guy who taught it, he was our football coach. Like he was just a super kind guy who was very aware of like stereotypes with women. And so he would be like, no, I don't, I don't care who you are. Like you need to know how to use this and you can do it. And it was, it was really great. Um, the other class I think that is so cool at Gilman, right? Like you're talking about the art classes. I'm going to put a shout out for uh, Coach Bartz's financial math class. Yep. That class where like they learn about mortgages and mm. how to like keep their finances straight and what's a good financial strategy. I really wish that they had offered that at my high school. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I actually haven't heard too much uh, about that class, but I, oh my gosh. but yeah, he, that's awesome. Yeah. I took an accounting class in high school and I always remember it was a great teacher and just kind of taught me some of those real world skills that usually you don't don't have classes like that in high school. Yeah. They were, they were the other day they were talking about like buying a house. I really wish I had taken that class (laughs) because I, I mean, when my husband bought, when we bought our first house, like we had no idea what we were doing. And I think a lot of people, at least like in my generation, like the things that we learned about money is what we learned from our parents. Mm-hmm. So whatever financial strategy your parents had, that's what you sort of end up with. And that has varying levels of uh, success. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super important uh, to have a class like that. Yeah. And that's a, a math elective for seniors? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So all of you greyhounds out there, take Coach Bartz's class. It's yeah. the best. Yeah. Um, what was it like for you kind of coming to Gilman three years ago? So... I guess that was 2019 to 20. So yep. you got cut off halfway through for yes. the, that was March, um, I guess towards the end. But 
when you first came here, what were your impressions of the place? And I know you have some family connections uh, with Gilman. Yeah. So my, for all your listeners out there, my husband taught here. It was actually his very first teaching job. So we left Alexandria to come to Baltimore when he, he decided that he wanted to teach. And so um, he taught there. And while he was there, my his sister, my sister-in-law, Emily Hourswald, was the librarian and her husband was the hockey coach. And so I, during the time that we lived in Baltimore, had actually spent a fair amount of time on Gilman's campus. Um, and I, I taught at Mount St. Joe. So I, I came here as well when I was coaching. And, um, you know, coming here as a teacher, it, it kind of was what I thought it would be. And, and it was what I thought it would be when I interviewed. Like, my husband has very fond memories of teaching here. Like, he le- he taught freshman and sophomore English, um, coached hockey, and loved it. And, you know, just talked about how great the boys were and how fun it was to be in class. And that that has been my experience the entire time. Like mm-hmm. I always tell the boys at the beginning of the year, I, I love what I do. I like coming to work each day. Like you guys are fun. Yeah. Even, even when you're a little squirrely, right? right? Like you're fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, hmm. So you kind of expected everything. There were really no surprises. You had been here before and you were familiar with the area and. And I had taught all boys and I had coached boys before. So I don't know. I I think that maybe the only thing that kind of caught me by surprise, and I knew it, but I didn't really know it, was um, how much freedom teachers have. Yeah. I think when I've gone to other schools, you know, it's like they hand me a scope and sequence. They hand me a book and they're like, these are the sections that you're going to do. This is the order that you're going to do them in. And you're going to keep pace with the other person who's um, who's teaching it. And those like guardrails weren't really in place here. So I showed up and like oh okay well I didn't I so this is good because I know that's the case in the English department and Mm -hmm. that's probably my favorite part of my job is that I can read a poem or like read a short story last night and bring it into class today and there's no one kind of telling me no right but is it similar in the math department where in math I feel like you kind of have to keep on a certain track and meet this bar by December but but no yeah, so the idea is that, like, if you and I are both teaching Algebra 2, we should give, like, exams, whether they're midterms or final exams. I think it's, like, 80% the same. So we should, in theory, be, you know, checking in with one another and making sure that we're covering, that we've got the same plan approximately for a semester. Um I was just used to a lot more structure. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like they gave us a book. I still remember the, the first couple of weeks, like I got this geometry book. Okay, cool. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to start. We're going to start in chapter one. And Dallas Jacobs uh, walked by my room and we were talking later and he said, oh, yeah, I heard you were teaching chapter two. I just skipped right over that. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> so there, there were those moments where I was, it was a good moment because I needed to, just relax and figure out like what are the what are the big ideas like in geometry what are the big ideas okay cool what what do they need to know to understand congruent triangles okay let's lay the foundation and and work backwards and um i ended up creating a a course that's relatively similar to a geometry course i've taught before but it was kind of fun to be like i don't really want to talk about that thing Mm -hmm. i don't i don't care about that thing and it doesn't it doesn't affect the kids long term i mean i think that's my biggest concern is i want to make sure that i'm creating a course 
where they can leave my classroom and still be super successful and not be held back because Mrs. Soden doesn't like the quadratic formula or whatever. Hmm. So it's striking that balance of how do I make sure that they're successful for the next course and then balancing it with like what I think is cool. Just making it efficient and yeah. yeah. Um, what would you say is the most difficult part of teaching freshmen, soft, freshmen sophomores math? Um, I think it's remembering that they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think sometimes after you've been teaching the same group of student or age group for so many years, you know, like if you've taught it for 10 years, you may have explained this concept 10 times. But that freshman who's coming in the next year, they've heard it zero times. And so having continuing to just have patience and remember that, you know, that freshman that cannot like it's got too many balls in the air and like cannot keep it together. He'll get there eventually. And you just have to be patient and keep reminding him what the expectations are. Um, Stephanie Dennis actually used a phrase that like is constantly in my head. She used it earlier this year in a faculty meeting. She said, you need to define and remind. So defining the expectations and then continuing to remind them that like, this is what we need to do. I, I get that you forgot. I get that you didn't have what you needed. Okay, cool. Let's move forward. But this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also helps uh, you make your course more efficient too, because, you know, in the same way that you have to, remind them and teach them what they don't know you're also learning from year to year what you can cut out and what actually <laughs> yes. works and how to rephrase this so it makes sense yes. and that's kind of what i'm i mean i guess it's my fourth year teaching now but mm-hmm. now i'm kind of just taking some of the things that i would take forever to explain right. before and just like today uh we were talking about like a mini thesis statement or like your mm-hmm. your opinion because that's what's interesting for people to read is like we want to know what you have to say about it right and I kind of just said, like, I'm big on Twitter. I love I love mm-hmm. reading tweets. And I love kind of the hot takes on there. Yeah. People just kind of saying their opinion because right. it's interesting to me. Right. And I, and I was just kind of relating it to that. I was like, write your first sentence. Like, it's you're writing a tweet. Like, it's nice. – uh, and that makes sense to me. And I think for them who are right. they're always on social media, yeah. that might be a better way of just explaining it. Right. Like, write a straightforward tweet about this moment from the story. Right. You know? Um. But yeah, I think freshmen and sophomores, and that's kind of a time where you're still developing some organizational skills oh, and yeah. you know <laughs> making sure you're in the right day and the yes. category and all that. Yes. How much time do you spend on like those types of organization and study habits and all that? Right. I try to mix either structuring my class a particular way to help them be organized versus teaching them a skill that they can use later. So for example, like the boys know that for notes, when you're taking notes in my class, I don't like when we're in geometry, I don't want to spend, you know, 20 minutes waiting for you to painfully write out every theorem. So my notes are structured. It's an outline that I've printed out and it's hole punched and it's stapled. So like I tell the boys at the beginning of the year, if you have a three ring binder and some dividers, you can be organized in this class really easily. Um, And the notes should be, you know, I'm filling them in on the board, they're filling them in on their paper, and they should be a really great tool for you to use later. Um, So those are some things that I do that are, that can help them be organized. But also, you know, most kids that come into high school, they don't know how to study for a math test. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just, they tend to think either, 
I don't know, I knew it in class or I didn't, you know, either I did the homework and understood it or I didn't. So, you know, with freshmen, we spend time talking about, all right, let's just take out our notes packet from unit one. You tell me, what do you think is on this test? Like, you're me, what are the skills that I'm asking for you? So, you know, they're telling me and I'm writing it up on the board. Um, and we talk about, hey, not every teacher is going to do this for you, but now you know how to. It's it's not hard if you are taking notes and if your notes make sense to you, which right. is another skill we talk about. Um, but trying to build in some of those things and then we slowly taper off so that by the end of the year, you know, I've got guys who will come back and say, hey, I made an outline. Can you look it over and see if I missed anything? Mm-hmm. And some of the guys, you know, they say, I'm still not going to make that. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Make your choices. <laughs> Math was never my thing. I just had a mental block and I just couldn't get past it. I I had some really good teachers though, but I always thought like the cheat sheet, actually making the cheat sheet before the test, even if you barely look at yep. it on the test, but the yep. process of writing everything down, yes. like you're saying, it, it helps so much because now you kind of have a flow of the formulas. Yeah. And... Well, and I often wonder, so I... My kids, like my eighth grader does not know how to study for a test. And so she took a set of exams at the end of the year last year. And um, I was talking about writing and I was saying, you know, the act of physically writing on paper is for me a really easy way for me to remember things. If I don't write it down, I'm not typically going to remember it. And so sometimes I wonder if I'm just a dinosaur, Um, like I'm trying to get, no, you must write things on paper versus, you know, today's students, like they have so many options in terms of how they can take in information. And for me, it writing is the best way for me to do it. Handwriting. Yes. Handwriting. Mm -hmm. Even the difference between writing on a piece of paper versus taking my Apple pencil out and writing on a tablet. It's, it's different in my brain. Um, And again, I don't know if that's me or if that's my generation. Um, but I do tell the boys, I think the increasing the number of ways that you interact with material is always a good thing, regardless of whether you're a dinosaur or not. Yes, um, that's true. That's you know, very true. Hearing it, watching it, writing it. Um, my, my biggest, uh, you know, tip for them, you have to in order to study for math, you have to do math. Like I can look at someone else's beautiful solution and be like, yes, that is fantastic. But that doesn't mean that I can replicate it on my own should I be given a similar prompt. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing that I have for them. Like, look, I'll make a review packet. Like sit down and do some problems. If you can do that, you'll probably be all right. <laughs> what if you have a student kind of like really how I was? So mm-hmm. I – my issue with math is I was like, I, especially geometry and those subjects, I, I never, I was always thinking in my mind, when am I ever going to like need to do this? Like, when am I ever going to need to find for X or mm. know the sine, cosine, tangent of this? Because mm. yeah. I was kind of that, that kid a little bit, <laughs> even though I did put a lot of effort into math. Like sure. I, I went into, it was a room like this at my high school. Miss mm-hmm. Roche sat here and she was just the math tutor. That's all yep. she did was just sit here and help. With the practice problems. Right. And I saw that woman every single day. So shout out to her because (laughs) she's like. She's doing the Lord's work. I don't think I would have gotten into college without her. And she was like, oh, here comes Jake again. He's got his problems. But what would you, how would you kind of answer that? Like, what would you say to someone if you're just a freshman? You're like, you know, when am I ever going to need to do this kind of thing in life? Yeah. So the funny thing is I actually think geometry and I, I give this spiel at the beginning of each year and I don't. 
I don't know. Maybe I'll have to like check in with my boys and see see how much they agreed with it. But at the beginning of each year, I say, out of all of your your math classes that you're going to take, geometry is probably the one that is the most useful, no matter what you decide to do. And it's not because you know you're going to be taking your 45, 45, 90 triangle out in your yard to try and figure out something, um, but because you're learning how to logically build arguments that no one can poke any holes in, right? Like you've got this agreed upon set of givens or agreed upon set of relationships that you all agree have to be true. And how can you lead someone to this destination where every time they try to divert, you're like, nope, mm -hmm. we know that this is true because of this. Um, and that logical progression, I think is helpful no matter what you decide to do, whether you are a lawyer or you're trying to persuade your six-year-old to eat his broccoli, like whatever it is, you are, you are oftentimes persuading people and trying to help them understand your thought process. Hmm. Um, I think that's very true. Yeah. So we're just starting proofs in my geometry class. I don't know. Well, they'll get there eventually, but I think right now they're like, oh my gosh, why do we have to write this out? But how, how do you, uh, how would you say that you kind of get them excited to do like, proofs or something that's maybe for some guys a little bit drier? I know a lot of, a lot of guys love math. It's like their thing. They're, they they yeah. love those rules and the black and white and like we're agreed yeah. upon, you know, this set of, of laws for the subject, but yeah. some guys maybe not so much. How do you kind of get those guys excited about it. Yeah, I. so it's funny. I talk with my daughter about this a lot. I think in general, we tend to not like things that we believe that we are bad at. And so I think that not for all, like some kids just don't enjoy math, but I think for some kids, a, a fair number, it's, look, I've been getting this feedback really for a really long time that I'm not great at this. And this is just another opportunity for me to, you know, go into a class and be reminded of that. And so I think that, you know, like Bart and I talk about this a lot, you know, for geometry in particular, it's all about building their confidence mm -hmm. and, and scaffolding your lessons so that they can see these achievable results. Like you said, you, did, you do know how to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and being genuinely excited for them when they do figure it out. I, I think that enthusiasm in the classroom, I mean, I think sometimes my students might think I'm a little crazy, but like, I think having enthusiasm in the classroom and getting, if you're excited, they're gonna get there and like making it fun. So we do, you know, competition games or like the first time that some kid says, no, I got this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write this proof on the board. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. you take the marker and, and having them all be a part of that and see their their classmates being successful and then knowing that they can be successful also, I think building that culture is huge. It almost uh, in some ways is maybe even more so than an English classroom, uh, almost like a team in, in a certain way, mm -hmm. the math classroom, just in my mind. Yeah. And one thing that my junior... I think he was my junior math teacher, Mr. Russo. He's a big bowler. He, like, he was like a big time <laughs> bowler. He loved it. But he was a funky guy. He was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And one thing that he did in the classroom that always kind of got me going was when he handed back the quizzes and the tests, mm -hmm. he would, you know, the top three scores or the top five scores or whoever got an A, he would yeah. announce it to everyone. And nice. I'd be like, I'm getting, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting there next week. Yes. Kind of play on the competition a little bit. Yes. Which is huge. Yeah. I, I did tell, and maybe I shouldn't say this, I don't, I don't know how many of my other students, but I did tell my geometry class 
that if any of them got a perfect score on one of my tests, I would bake them all cookies. And they were like, what? Yeah, I like <laughs> my, that. Little, little something. Yeah. I mean, incentives and all that. Rewards. Yeah. yeah. That's real world. But it makes it fun. And I think that's the biggest thing. If kids are coming to class and they're having fun while they're learning, they're, they're bound to have a better experience. So tell me a little bit about kind of your coaching style and um, what you like most about coaching here at Gilman. You said yeah. volleyball. Yeah, I was coaching volleyball last year. I'll be doing middle school volleyball this year. Okay. Um, and then I'm coaching fresh soft basketball. What, what's that part of your day like, the coaching part? Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's that freshman, sophomore group. Um, but, you know, they're, they're a fun mix of, you know, they're – they're athletes who are typically like pretty competitive. You know, they want to win. Basketball may or may not be their favorite sport or their big sport, um, but they're they're there to compete. I mean, last year was a weird year, and so we didn't really have fresh soft. But you know, the year before, I was uh, with Matt Baum, and it was awesome. Like mm -hmm. we had a big group of guys. They were all pretty different, um, but it was fun to have them in the gym together. Yeah. Well, a little wild, a little squirrely sometimes, but that's what made it fun. Get the energy out. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know. You're a, a young coach. Uh, when I was a younger coach, I think I focused a lot on X's and O's. That was like I was coming out of this really competitive atmosphere where, like, you know, as a basketball player, you need to know the playbook inside out and, you know, you're going to get yelled at if you're not doing this. Um but I think that my coaching philosophy has changed as I've gotten older. And I think like X's and O's are still fun, but the kids and like hanging out with them and getting to know them and getting them to gel as a group, again, kind of like the classroom, right? Like you said, like a team, um, helping them become a group and show that they care about each other and that they want each other's success and trying to build that in practice and then see it happen in a game, I think is cool. Yeah. That's almost more important is the yeah. chemistry and the motivation. Yeah, which is why, um, you know, I think, well, you asked what was surprising about Gilman. Perhaps this is one thing. When I had this idea of what, like, a varsity head coach is at an all-boys school, I, I had a vision in my mind, and, like, Diego, Coach Diego and Coach Bartz, are the opposite of that yeah. in the best ways possible. Mm -hmm. um, they both care about kids so much and they, they know their stuff and they're great coaches and they're great teachers. And I think that's something that sometimes gets lost in higher level coaching is being a teacher. That's the most true thing ever yeah. because, and, and people are surprised about this, but when you go to mm -hmm. college, you think, oh, these are the best coaches around and they're yeah. at the college level and they're D1, D3 coaches and yeah. all that. And a lot of them aren't teachers. So they mm -hmm. miss the whole kind of the relational aspect that we talk about every day at Gilman. And that in my view, observing like all of the coaches here are very, they're yeah. teachers first so that they get that yeah. and they bring that to their coaching. And that's not really the case at the next level, which is no. shocking almost. Right. And and like, you know, Diego and, and Coach Bartz, they're coming down to the JV practices, to the fresh soft practices and like talking to guys and teaching them, you know, pull, pulling them out of a drill and, you know, showing them a small change in their technique and um, 
they're just as excited about teaching those small entry level skills as they are about, you know, showing the starting five, some, you know, new offensive set. Mm -hmm. So coaching with them has been wonderful. Um, and I tell it to anyone who asks about, you know, coaching as a, as a woman coaching boys. I mean, the boys are great, but I do think that having a, a head coach who embraces teaching as much as they do coaching is probably the most important aspect of coaching anywhere. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something I asked that question, but that your answer is very similar to what mine would have been probably is the diversity of styles of coaching. Mm. Yeah. When I started out, Coach Matthews was the head lacrosse coach, and I learned a lot from him, and he was mm -hmm. way different from my college coaches, my high school coaches, right. in a good way. Yeah. And then Coach Nostrant was the head coach after him, and he was way different, in my mm -hmm. view, than Coach Matthews, similar mm -hmm. in some ways. But right. um, it's just interesting that you can be an effective, really good coach and be so different. And it's really about personality, I think. Yeah. And not trying to be somebody else. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing as a, a teacher and a coach. I think when I was young, I was just emulating what I had seen before. So, you know, like my first couple of years of coaching, I was probably kind of a jerk because my college coaches were kind of jerks sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, but I think that that's part of becoming a really good teacher or a really good coach is, you know, honoring who you are and not trying to be someone else. Like, I can't. I can't scream at you. I will feel too bad. I will go home and cry if I just scream at children all day. So like, that's not my style. Yep. I'm not going to scream at you, but we're going to, we're going to have conversations. And if there's something that I need you to know that maybe is hard or is negative feedback, you can still get that feedback. I just don't need to scream at you to do it. Cause that's not who I am. So true. <laughs> and I feel like even having bad coaches as much mm -hmm. as I hated it during mm -hmm. my life and it, bad teachers, yep. you remember why they were bad teachers mm -hmm. and bad coaches and can use that now. Yeah. And you can learn to cope as a human. Again, having these conversations, I've told my eighth grader many times, oh, I don't care whether you like your teacher. Like that's not, that's not it. That's great if you like them. Awesome. But when you have somebody that maybe is not your favorite, you don't get to just disengage and, and not be a part of things, you have to find a way to either connect with that person or you have to find resources outside of that class that can help you. Um, but you don't, you don't get to quit on it. And yeah. I think that's like just a good life lesson. You're not going to go to a job where you, you love everyone that you work with. Like that's just not a reasonable expectation in life. And so, you know what? We work with people we love. We work with people that we feel lukewarm about and like, that's all going to be okay. <laughs> So true. Um, so you've lived in very different places in, um, in the country, Seattle, Minnesota, Virginia, Virginia Baltimore. Uh, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> okay, so you've lived pretty much everywhere yeah. but the South. Yes, no South and like not really. I mean, the West was only Seattle up until sixth grade. What, um, what are your feelings towards Baltimore? What do you think of just this place in comparison to the Midwest and in the West? Yeah, I, I love Baltimore. I like, I really, so my husband and I, we were living in Wisconsin previously. Oh, Wisconsin. Now that's the list. Um, we were living in Wisconsin and, and we moved here for my husband's job. Um, and he was looking for jobs and we were trying to figure out where we were going to go. Cause wherever we were going to go, we thought, okay, we're going to, we're going to stay put 
and we want the girls to graduate from the high school wherever we go, that high school should be the one that both of them graduate from. Uh, mm -hmm. And we, we looked at a lot of different places and Maryland is like, I feel like it's the sweet spot. Um, you know, my husband grew up in Marion, Massachusetts, right on the water. He loves the water. He loves being out on the boat. Um, but you still like where we live, you know, you can get into Baltimore and do all of the cool things that like we remember being young adults. We're not cool anymore, but there are <laughs> cool things. Um, or we can go into DC and like take the girls to a museum. Um, I just, we really love living in Baltimore or yeah. living in Maryland. Yeah. I mean, you can get anywhere pretty easily, yeah. um, which is a great aspect of it. But I also just love, I don't know, the right now I feel like we're in Baltimore City. We're, we're, right. Technically we are, but we're really a little bit outside and we can yep. go into the city and go to Annapolis. You go to live right. in Annapolis, right. um, which I love that place too. Mm -hmm. um, can drive a couple hours and be outdoorsy and go to West Virginia. Jezreer and I were talking about that. Ooh, we just bought a cabin in West Virginia a year ago. Really? Love West Virginia. So you're tur turning outdoorsy is what you're saying. So I, <laughs> I say cabin and what I really mean is a house in the woods with internet. Uh, <laughs> it's not like when I say cabin, sometimes people say, oh, like, wow, you're really roughing it. No. No, I am not. You're off the no. map. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't have to check my email if I don't want to out there. And like, it is in the middle of the woods, but let's be clear. It's part of a larger, like, resort community, and it has a golf course. So, like, oh, we're nice. not, we're not roughing it. That's, that's, <laughs> a, is that mostly for the summertime or? We try to get out on the weekends as nice. much as possible. You know, my, my daughter plays basketball and, like, a lot. And so that makes it difficult. And my husband's job um as he's the head of upper school at severn school and so he has stuff that he's doing on the weekends um but we try to get out as much as possible even if we leave on a friday evening and we wake up there on saturday morning it's amazing how do you um how do you usually spend your summers like what do you like to do in the summertime um i you know it's kind of changed as my kids have gotten older you know i used to teach in the summer i would you know teach an algebra one class or an algebra two class at whatever school i was at um and then my kids got old enough that i just thought this is this is crazy to spend this much time working in the summer um but you know like this past summer my my daughter was on an aau basketball team that i was uh helping to coach and so she and i actually traveled a fair amount so we were in Kentucky at a tournament, and we were in Pennsylvania and Delaware and Atlanta. And so she and I actually had a lot of, like, one-on-one -on -one time mm -hmm. in the car. Sounds like she's pretty serious about basketball. She likes it. Yeah. And that's, that's I don't know, I, that's as far as I would take it at this point is she really likes it. She likes being in the gym. Um, we are encouraging her to not put all of her eggs in the basketball basket. Like, it's great that she loves it now. Um you know, but like she's playing soccer right now. She's goalie, loves mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. um, does track in the spring. Uh, but she she just has fun with it right now and, and enjoys, you know, like she'll go to soccer practice and come home and then she'll say, hey, can I take the keys and go to the gym at Severn? And yeah, great, go nice. shoot baskets. Uh, that's um, a perk living on campus. Yes. Uh, but I think fun, like, is what my husband and I are trying to preach to her at this point. Because as soon as she stops enjoying it or it feels like a job, She's going to get burnt out and it's not going to be fun for the reasons it was to begin with. So, yeah. Yeah. You see that a lot with, uh, 
just how much uh, I don't know if it's the same in basketball, but I'm sure it is. But with Mm -hmm. lacrosse, it's very high level of commitment because you're playing in the summer and then it starts back up and programs want to make some money and you know it's yes. that's what it is and yep. then they get to high school and then they go to college and it's like this is a full-time job it's miserable yes well and that's sort of interesting she and i were actually just having this conversation because there's a you know a big um emphasis on well you gotta you gotta go d1 or you gotta get a scholarship or you gotta play in college and i just looked at her and said you know you can just play because it's fun and you could, we could spend all this time. And as long as you're enjoying it, like at the end of your career, if you say to me, mom, I don't want to play like, cool. Yeah. That's fine. And you're going to get so much out of that anyway. You know, you don't have to have the D1 bumper sticker to. Yeah. And, and I think it's hard, you know, as a parent, you, you are funneling a fair amount of cash into it. And so there's this feeling that you need some return on it. And so we've tried to be really clear with her that that's not the goal. Mm-hmm. The goal is simply for her to be a part of something that she enjoys, get to know other kids, make friends, learn how to be part of a bigger group, right? Learn how to, you know, accept the role that she's given. And if she's not happy with it, to work toward it if, she, you know, if she wants a change. And I think, right, like that's the great part about sports. It's yeah. not that you play D1. It's that you try things and sometimes things go well and sometimes things don't. And you learn a lot from the, the disappointments and you learn yeah. how to pick yourself back up the team aspect of it and yeah. getting better at it and working towards something. Yep. Yeah. So valuable. Um, think, I think people sometimes think about college sports. If, if you haven't played a college sport a little bit differently than how it actually is, at least in my experience, yes. if, <laughs> if you don't actually love the sport, like yep. live sleep and you know, this obviously, yep breathe the sport every day. I mean, that's what it is. Like I played lacrosse for six hours every day in college yeah. and it was pretty, uh, yeah. pretty intense at times. Yeah. And there's no off season like, Oh cool. Your season's done. Yeah. You got strength and conditioning at 5am tomorrow. See you then. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh cool. It's winter break and <laughs> yeah. you can go home for Christmas. Like no. I was running sprints and like, yes, I was worried about if I was going to pass the run test. Yes, 100%. Same thing with the <laughs> summer. I was like, drive to the, the like dirt track that was in our tiny town in Minnesota and be like, okay, I'm going to start the watch and make sure I can make my mile time. Because if I can't, I got to get up early every morning and do another practice, another conditioning practice. Like, there's just like the level of stress. Is there enjoyment? Of course. But like, there's an additional stress on top of, oh, by the way, you're in college. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot ment- mental stress. Like it's yes. like, oh my gosh, if I don't pass this, I'm not I'm not going to be on the team for the first right. two weeks. And, you know, it's it's intense. But um, we both teach first period and I do want to get to, or third period, and I want to get to the book rack okay. that you brought in today. <laughs> so this book, I, I brought it for a couple of reasons. It's uh, Home by Carlin Co- or Harlan Coben, excuse me. Um, so Harlan Coben is one of my favorite authors. He writes a lot of mysteries. Um, disclaimer, it is not like great literature. I just really like reading his books. Hmm. Um, and I brought it because I was not a big reader when I was in middle school, high school. Like I read things because people made me and I didn't enjoy it. And it took a long time for me to really enjoy reading. But I finally started enjoying reading when I realized that like, I could read what I liked. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to read something because it was considered good literature. 
or it needed to give me this particular message. Like I finally realized like, I really like mysteries. I love fiction. I don't like reading nonfiction. And I think that that realization for me was really important that like, it wasn't about someone else's expectations. It was supposed to be an enjoyable activity, which I genuinely don't think I realized until I was in probably the end of college. Like I can remember the first book that I ever picked up and read and could not put it down. Like it was the only thing that I wanted to do was just read this book. And that was such a different experience for me as a reader. So I brought this book in part because I love Harlan Coben. All of you listeners out there, check him out. He's got, this is the end of a uh, series of books about a guy named Myron Bolitar, who's a sports agent, a former college athlete, and his clients get him into some crazy situations. Mm. Um, but, and he has he has other books that are not, I mean, he's probably got like 20 books. Um, but the other reason that I brought this is because my, when my kids were young, we would take them to like Target and we'd say, okay, it's, it's Christmas. What do you think dad wants for Christmas? And so you let, you know, a second grader walk around and be like, dad wants a Star Wars t-shirt. And you'd be like, I don't know that dad likes Star Wars. And she was like, nope, Yoda, let's make it happen. Um, <laughs> so when my daughter, my younger daughter was in second grade, she picked out this book. I had never read a Harlan Coben book before. She just grabbed it off the shelf. She, she grabbed it off the shelf. Like it's got, I don't know if it's because it has like two little children on it or what, but like she picked it off the shelf. And so when I opened it on Christmas morning, I was like, Thank you, Caroline. This is so great. And my husband gave me this look like, I don't know. It's just, it's what she picked out for you. Wow. And so in the first like 20 pages, uh, people are getting beat up. Someone's murdered. There's a prostitution ring. And I was like, what is happening? What did my daughter give me? <laughs> yes. Wow. But it was the, this is the last book in the series, which was also weird. But I loved it so much that I've read every other book in the series and like, just that small, random, here's a book from your second grader about prostitution rings and murder. <laughs> and it ended up being really great. And I read them all. And my husband has read them as well and enjoys them. And so wow. my in-laws. So That's a out. perfect choice. It's got this, you know, the mystery to it. Right. And you've read all of them. And yeah. it's got a great story. I like That's it. Right. Cool. Well, thank you for bringing that in. Uh, Harlan Copen. Harlan Coben, yes. Okay. Interesting. Check them out. We'll have to check them out. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was a great conversation. Learned a lot more about you. I hope, yeah. hope I didn't throw you any curveball questions, but I no. was very, uh, very good. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks so much. This was fun. Awesome. <laughs>